Hi everyone, welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my film reviews. You can read anytime at quipster.net. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R. I also want to let you know that I do another film podcast that covers new movies that are out in theaters. It is called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Search for it wherever you're listening to this and you'll find it. Just remember that Quipster is spelled with a W instead of a U. Today we're going to be continuing on our films that look into the realm of the subconscious, the dream world, I guess you could call it. This one doesn't have as much to do with dreams per se, although it does factor in, at least tangentially, into the main story. But it is about the subconscious and it's about experiencing something that is a little bit out of one's own mind. So in that way it's like a dream realm except we're experiencing somebody else's reality as our dream. It is called Brainstorm. It came out in 1983. It's a film that was directed by Douglas Trumbull. The main star is Christopher Walken, with supporting roles going to Natalie Wood, Cliff Robertson, Louise Fletcher, Jordan Christopher, Donald Holton, Alan Fudge, and Joe Dorsey. The screenplay is credited to Robert Stitzel and Philip Frank Messina. Now, Brainstorm could be classified as this new age science fiction film. It really treats the future as this mind-blowing and life-altering experience for those who participate, though the film does manage to stay grounded within the realm of science most of the way, although much of the film does stay in the realm of the personal for its characters and their situations. It is, at its core, a film about the use of mind technology for better communication, as well as understanding among people that can be used to deliver transcendent experiences to the user, if it's applied in different ways. But the film also looks at the dangers that technology provides, especially to those who may become addicted to it. And as products that seek for the betterment of humankind can also be weaponized and used to control and destroy others if it ends up in the wrong hands. Now, the fact that Brainstorm would mark the last film appearance of actress Natalie Wood, she died on a Thanksgiving holiday in 1981, just two weeks prior to the end of principal filming for Brainstorm, in this mysterious tragedy that resulted in her drowning under suspicious circumstances during this yacht trip and party near Catalina Island with her on-screen husband, Christopher Walken, and her real-life husband, Robert Wagner. This is a controversy that still exists today. In fact, I was just in the supermarket this week and I saw the National Enquirer, and the very front-page story is... Robert Wagner and Natalie Wood's death, it still resonates so many years later, decades later. Now, I'm not here to speculate as far as the death goes, whether it was accidental or intentional or what have you, because these are things, to be honest with you, I haven't followed that much, although I remember it occurring at the time. But I do want to mention how it affects this film, which is kind of the story of Brainstorm in and of itself and some of the problems that it had. Now, Natalie Wood signing on to the film in a smaller role that was originally slated for actress Kate Jackson. Her appearance here produced rewrites in order to increase her screen time. She was a star, maybe on the decline, but still a star. But it was her death that would further alter the trajectory of the story because of necessary reshoots to the film in order to hold it together because they didn't have Natalie Wood for a couple of key scenes that were yet to be filmed. So the film could be seen as compromised. The studio, uh, the financially struggling MGM, they wanted to accept insurance money for the film instead. They thought that the film really could not continue without Natalie Wood. And even if it could, audiences may not come out to see the movie featuring this beloved actress 
with this ominous cloud of the tragedy still hanging over their heads. However, insurance money would not pay for a deserted project, but they would fund what additional money would be needed in order to complete the film. They negotiated a cut of the profits. MGM resigned itself that it might actually benefit in the end from the notoriety that was produced by Natalie Wood's untimely passing, all of the media storm that had been generated as a result of the mysterious circumstances of her death. They declined attempts by other studios to buy out the rights to the film outright. And possibly because of those offers, it might have even convinced them that they did indeed have a viably lucrative film on their hands after all. Still, the despondency, the grief... That would seep into the tone of much of the new material that was produced for the film. Director Douglas Trumbull, he began this very difficult task of having to maintain proper morale. They would embark on a new trajectory for this project using the insurance money, maybe a body double for Wood during a couple of long shots. The body double would prove not to be needed as much because what Trumbull had to do to complete the film involved the paring down of Natalie Wood scenes that didn't really jive with the material that was amended in order to keep the story together. And he gave the key pieces that was given to her character to other characters to push forward the plot in the reshoots. The morale, the grief among the cast and the crew for Natalie Wood's passing, that would prove especially challenging. Some of the plot turns of the death of one of the characters and how that experience would affect those who remain living echoed some of the things that were going on in the aftermath of Wood's death. Reportedly, the relatively inexperienced Douglas Trumbull, he found himself over his head with a movie studio that refused to speak with him as he proceeded forward with his project, as well as not knowing what to do to motivate his actors or to properly explain the vision of the film that he had in his head to them. And that resulted in Christopher Walken kind of stepping up. He had already served to motivate a bewildered and bored Natalie Wood for her motivation in this film she didn't quite understand. He stepped forward to direct some of the other cast on how to perform with the roles required for the remainder of the shoot. Now, that's all the setup to the surrounding atmosphere of the film. But what the film is about, well, we'll get into it right now. Christopher Walken, of course, as I mentioned, he's the main star. He plays this character named Michael Brace. Brace is a brilliant research scientist who's involved with this breakthrough technological experiment that allows one person's thoughts and experiences to be perceived within the brain of another person, or their memories are recorded to tape form to be experienced by anyone who puts on the headset to tap into it themselves. Not only are the sights and the sounds replicated in the mind of the other person, but also the emotional responses of the original person. Whether it's exhilaration or terror, all of that can be reproduced from one mind to another, and that can be particularly disconcerting to the virtual observer, something they did not anticipate when they started to create this project. Now, once the team finds success, things take a little bit of a turn. Government agents begin to appear. They look into the experimental process. They want to employ it in the field against subversives. It causes this rift between the scientists and the bureaucrats funding them as to what this new technology will be used to do. It's more to the story than that. It's a little bit more personal than what I'm giving it credit for within the plot synopsis, but I'll let you experience the film for yourself if you haven't done so already. Now, Douglas Trumbull, not a very experienced director. He had been known mostly as a visual effects genius. He worked on major visionary projects like 2001 A Space Odyssey, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Blade Runner more recently for this film. He only directed two theatrical released films in his lifetime. He broke through in the early 1970s with this ecological sci-fi staple known as Silent Running, and also Brainstorm, of course. 
Several sequences in Brainstorm, especially in the thought realm, are stunningly shot. Really good use of visual effects. They were cutting edge for its era. In a process that he tried to use to increase the realism of the in-thought images in the film, Trumbull dubbed that process as Showscan, which is this sort of precursor to IMAX. He wanted to alternate this film between 70 millimeter film and 35 millimeter film. He increased the frame rate during these thought sequences to 60 frames per second, more than double that of standard film, which usually showed at 24 frames per second. The aspect ratio increases to a wider screen format. For those sequences, that could be called virtual reality, at least before its time. All of that in combination with James Horner's equally transcendent score, which many think ranks among Horner's very best, Trumbull really wanted to offer viewers this ultimate cinematic marriage of sight and sound as they've never experienced before in a theater setting. Unfortunately for Trumbull, most viewers did not get to experience this technique in its original intent. Theaters were unwilling to pay the extra money for costly new projectors or new screens, especially for a film that really wasn't going to be a bona fide blockbuster. And there really wasn't any kind of commitment by all of the major studios to continue to produce films in the showscan format, even if it proved popular. The process also rendered home video and streaming formats as inconvenient for viewers. The virtual reality sequences are in ultra widescreen format, which means you see black bars on the top and bottom of your screen, even if you have a huge screen. And the majority of the film is really boxed in with black bars on all sides because the virtual reality sequences take up the full screen from side to side, but the smaller aspect ratio does not fill your screen. So when you watch this at home, you're either gonna have to blow up the image or you're just gonna have to live with the fact that most of the action looks like it's window boxed through the whole film. Now, unfortunately, Trumbull's experience in making Brainstorm as well as dealing with this studio that wasn't really on his side, it really soured him on filmmaking for a long time. In fact, even to this day, it led him to stay away from feature filmmaking altogether. He has not directed another film for the theaters since 1983, although he has been talking about a couple of new shorts that he wants to produce eventually into feature film movies. In the interim, in addition to working on short films, Trumbull also worked on theme show attractions, for instance, Back to the Future, The Ride, that was a simulation at Universal Studios theme parks for many years. He also would create a film using the Showscan process, the technology for the Luxor Hotel in Las Vegas. It played there for many years, so he's been busy with other projects, but feature films is something Trumbull has actually stayed away from due to his negative experience in making Brainstorm. However, even with all of that in mind, Brainstorm is not so much a film that is meant to allure audiences with great special effects. As they are placed judiciously and sparingly, this is not a huge special effects film, but when they do hit, they do hit hard. Instead, Trumbull concentrates more on the characters and their personal relationships, including the strained but possibly still viable relationship between Michael and his soon-to-be-separated wife Karen, as well as his interactions with his colleagues, some of which is shown in flashbacks as memories that are explored with this technology. And once we care about these characters, the mild thriller elements do get put into place later in the film. It does cause palpable friction and danger once these government representatives and their alternative plans for the new technology become apparent. Now, interestingly, Brainstorm had originally begun as a screenplay 10 years before its release date. It was written by Bruce Joel Rubin. He's the screenwriter for future hits with interdimensional themes. He wrote the screenplays for the Academy Award-nominated film Ghost, as well as the very trippy cult film Jacob's Ladder. 
Brainstorm was not the original title at that time. Ruben called it the George Dunlap tape. It was going to be a very small, independently produced film, a much smaller scale and probably a lot less commercially appealing than what Trumbull is trying to do here. His script, though, ended up being rewritten at Trumbull's behest by first-timer Philip Frank Messina. It was later retooled by Robert Stitzel. He was also a first-time feature screenwriter. The screenplay still retains all of those mind-blowing ideas of Bruce Joel Rubin, but it is made more earthy by Messina and Stitzel, who try to make it a little bit more compelling for more mainstream audiences, which means, of course, to some people dumbing down the film to a certain extent, but it's still, for its era, it's pretty heady stuff. You have themes of memories, you have dreams, you have spirituality, those are all explored. One person's memories plays out to the viewer as their own surreal dream, and spirituality does come into play as the human experience and the consciousness ascends to this higher calling than the mortal plane. I will say no more about that. You have to experience the film for itself. Trumbull really seems fascinated by the technology and its implications. He delves just as heavily into the various permutations that such technology could inspire as much as how it impacts the characters within his story. Many who are experiencing not only how others see and perceive the world, but in their remembrance of the things that made them who they are today. The performances in this film, I think, are very solid. You have Christopher Walken. He's appropriately muted in his emotions as the scientist who's desired to see the limits to what his devices can do play out on the screen. But he soon takes a turn in his demeanor and his actions with how he views himself. He sees how he's perceived through his wife's eyes through this device. And he sees it's not a very flattering collection of memories that she holds on to. He does have a natural chemistry with Wood. They ended up really bonding during the course of making this film. Some people think that she developed a crush on Walken in the process, but that's all idle gossip. But still, the burgeoning emotions between the two actors, they do feel genuine as Walken's character searches through his memories for all of the reasons that he and his wife once fell in love in their youth. And then he records those in order to revive his wife's thoughts in how it all began and let her remember why they love each other. It's a really interesting take on this film that's not fully explored, but it is part of some of the things that makes Brainstorm a very interesting movie. The supporting cast of character actors is excellent. Cliff Robertson, he does lend credibility to this very tricky role that could have come off as a stereotype with less assured hands. Louise Fletcher, however, is, I think, the real surprise of Brainstorm as a performer. She fully fleshes out this supporting character to feel strong, but still vulnerable and very protective of her hard work. She wants it to remain in her own hands as well as that of her colleagues and hates to see anybody come in and try to steer the project into other directions. It's a very compelling role and I think that Louise Fletcher brings everything she can into it. For as much praise as I seem to be bestowing upon Brainstorm, it's a problematic film. I'm not going to say that this is a great film. It struggles to even remain a good film at times, although I will say I actually do think for most of the way it is actually a very strong good film, it does tend to dip when we get toward the third act of this film, because as absorbing as many of the conceptual aspects of Brainstorm may be, the narrative itself starts to sag under the weight of its heady notions that strain when they're presented within the realm of a mainstream entertainment. In trying to increase the audience for the film, it starts to lose some of the more hardcore audience that would be more on board and make it a cult film in the end that would probably be lucrative. So it's hampered by trying to be heady sci-fi, but also try to be mainstream entertainment in a way that really could not be supported as well in this era. 
This otherwise smart film, it gets especially silly during this very prolonged slapstick sequence where Michael ends up hacking, kind of like War Games that was released in the very same year. He hacks into the lab facility and he starts to control all of the industrial robots and the other animated equipment to effectively revolt against the powers that be in ways that defy logic or physics. It's kind of a dumb sequence. It's meant for laughs. It's meant for thrills, but it doesn't really jibe with the intense buildup that had been established already in the movie. So it feels out of place and it goes on for a very long time. It almost sinks the film, but luckily we have all of these other interesting ideas to tie into in the end. Unfortunately, Brainstorm didn't have an audience that it really wanted to play to singularly. So it really didn't find a strong enough audience. In 1983, it raked in only $10 million at the box office on a reported budget of $18 million. It never cracked the top five overall in the United States. It even had to compete in its third week with another sci-fi-tinged Christopher Walken vehicle, a much better one, The Dead Zone, which was based on the Stephen King novel. That one ended up proving twice as successful at half the budget. But still, even with its financial problems, this is a film that hasn't gotten its proper due, especially as a precursor and a possible influence to more high-profile science fiction films later. Flatliners, Strange Days, The Matrix, Inception, you can all see elements, the seeds of inspiration within Brainstorm for some of those projects, whether intentional or not. It's all very much still in the back of one's mind. And one can only wonder, had Douglas Trumbull had even half of the budgets of some of these other films I just mentioned, and without the tragedy that nearly derailed the film from even getting finished, what might have resulted? What if he were to have been able to revolutionize cinema as we know it with this new and liberating way of telling stories by tapping into our subconscious relationship with the moving image? That would have been very fitting for the themes of the movie. As far as a recommendation goes, I actually do recommend Brainstorm for those people who enjoy trippy, heady sci-fi it's not really directed in a fashion that would be unpalatable to most people. I think it's very straightforward in what it tries to do. So in that way, it's kind of mainstream. But if you're somebody who enjoys offbeat sci-fi thriller movies, I think Brainstorm is perfectly adequate for a couple of hours of entertainment and certainly scratches the surface of something that would be much bigger and done honestly much better in other films that were very similar in what it tries to do. So Trumbull was ahead of his time here. It's too bad he didn't have a studio that backed him fully with his vision of what he wanted to achieve. So we'll never know how good Brainstorm could have been if the circumstances were more in his favor. So I'm going to give overall to Brainstorm three stars out of four. Three stars on my scale means that I do recommend it for those people who like this kind of movie. If after describing it, it sounds of appeal to you, I do recommend giving it a shot. Just remember, watch it on the biggest screen that you possibly can. Obviously, the theater experience would be ideal because this is a movie that gets small and big in its aspect ratio. So if you're trying to watch this on a cell phone or maybe even a small tablet, it's going to be very frustrating to see what's going on because the image through most of the movie is going to be, as I mentioned, window boxed. It's only going to be like maybe half of the screen that you're seeing at the time. You're going to have to keep enlarging and reducing it. It gets very frustrating if you're trying to do it that way, I can imagine. So if you have a 60-inch TV or larger, maybe you can get away with it and enjoy it reasonably close to what Trumbull tried to achieve. But make sure it's a big screen to fully enjoy Brainstorm. So thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the review. If you've seen Brainstorm already, I'm sure you have your own thoughts. If you want to write to me, you can find my contact information on my website, quipster.net. That's Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. As far as what I'm going to be covering next week, I'm going to be continuing on with the dream realm, the dream world, the subconscious thoughts, and how multiple people can interact with them 
with a film called itself Dreamscape. It is from 1984. It stars Dennis Quaid and kind of an influential film in itself for reasons I'll get into next week. Dreamscape, the next movie that I'll be covering. So if you want to watch that before I get to the review, go ahead and seek that one out. It's easily available on most major platforms. So check that out. Until next time, thanks everyone for listening and joining me on this journey around the world in 80s movies. <laughs>